1: What up Cavs Nation? I'm your host Ethan Sands and I'm back with another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk Podcast. I'm joined by your favorite beat reporter Chris Fedor. What up Chris?
0: Ethan how's it going man?
1: Oh me? I'm fine. Just another day trying to keep up with everything going on around the league. Let's start with the biggest news. The NBA announced the All-Star starters. Thursday evening and the Cavs didn't have anyone on the starting rotation in the Western Conference we've got Shea Gilders, Alexander Luka Doncic LeBron James Kevin Durant and Nikola Jokic and in the East there's Damian Lillard Tyrese Halliburton Jason Tatum Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Joel Embiid. The voting was calculated by fan votes worth 50% and NBA player votes and media panel votes both weighing 25%. Before I get into the logistics of how these starters were selected, I gotta mention that LeBron has yet another record. The most all-star selections of all time. All right, Chris, let's get back to the numbers. The fan returns that came out on January 18th, just two days before the voting ended on January 20th, showed Stephen Curry edging Shea and Trey Young in front of Dame Dalla. And even though Steph and Trey ended up with more fan votes, the media and player votes helped Shea and Dame earn the starter selections. Ironically for the guards in the East, It came down to Dame and Jalen Brunson having the second best weighted score after Tyrese Halliburton. Dame and Jalen had the same score, but the only reason that Dame edged Jalen was because the tiebreaker was the fan vote, and Dame had a higher fan vote ranking. Chris, to start this, how do you feel about how the All-Star selections, for the starters at least, is ran?
0: I think it's just going to be this way moving forward. And it's fine because it's an exhibition game and because fans are such a big part of what the NBA is all about. In saying that, if you're going to weight it that much by fans, you open yourself up to these kinds of results. It's the same thing like American Idol, like America's Got Talent. Anytime you're talking about fans voting on things, you can have goofy results. And I think that's what has happened here this year. I have no problems with the front court in the Eastern Conference. It was the easiest three people to pick. I think it was more interesting who was actually going to finish fourth in that voting. I have no problem with the guards in the Western Conference. Those were the two that I chose on my ballot, Luka and Shea. I have a slight problem with the front court in the Western Conference because it didn't match mine. But the backcourt in the Eastern Conference, Damian Lillard is not an all-star starter this year. He is not. He's not playing like one. He's been good. He's helped Milwaukee to one of the best records in the NBA. He's had some big-time moments in late-game situations, which is something that he has done throughout the course of his career. It's something that he is known for, but he has not been better than Jalen Brunson, and he most certainly has not been better than Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell is sixth in the NBA in scoring. He's averaging career highs in rebounds, assists, and steals. The Cavs have had their projected starting five for 11 total games, less than 200 total minutes. And yet they're fourth in the Eastern Conference. A big reason for that is because of the way that Donovan Mitchell has played for them. They've been without Evan Mobley and Darius Garland, two of their most important players, 40% of their starting lineup for the last month plus. And yet the Cavs have risen up the standings during that stretch because Donovan, in part, took his game to a completely different level and would not allow the Cavs to falter. So I just don't understand this. I think it's unfortunate that Donovan is not an Eastern Conference all-star starter. He deserves it.
1: Yeah, Chris, I was about to say, I know our Cavs listeners are probably screaming at their phones, TVs, or car sound system. Rightfully so. Because one, based on the votes that came out, but also because before you mentioned it, I hadn't brought up Donovan yet because he wasn't named a starter. And Donovan ranked third in media votes fourth in fan votes and fifth in player votes a good three four five action there he tied with trey young for the third best weighted score but donovan still had four players in front of him in the final voting results chris there's a lot that goes into the all-star game because i understand i agree with you i think donovan mitchell was rightfully supposed to be in the the starting five, especially with how he's played, especially with all the things happening around the Cavs. What the hell are the players thinking?
0: Are are the players serious? Everybody talks so much about, hey, the media doesn't know what they're talking about. The media doesn't know what they're looking at. They haven't played the game. Why do they have such a say when it comes to first team All-NBA, second team All-NBA, all of these end of season awards? Why do they have such a say when it comes to all-star stuff? The players putting Tyrese Maxey second? Like, what are you watching? Are you kidding me? He's not the best player on his own team. He's not more important to his team than Donovan Mitchell. He's not better than Donovan Mitchell. He's not better than Damian Lillard. He's not better than Jalen Brunson. Like, what are you watching? That Tyrese Maxey, of all guys, is going to be second on your ballot for the Eastern Conference All-Star Starter? Come on. Like, the players got that wrong way wrong that was ridiculous to me like it's cool Halliburton deserves to be there no doubt about it there's a reason why he was number one in media vote fan vote and player vote he's playing like an MVP caliber player but Tyrese Maxey too like what are you watching
1: yeah it's insane to think about because I mean like you said Joel Embiid is obviously the best player on his team and rightfully so got the starter bid in the Eastern Conference but that's also what we were talking about. The Eastern Conference was a sweep for the number one votes on both sides, for the front court and the guards. Giannis got 1-1-1 for media, player, and fan, and Tyrese got all ones for player, fan, and media. So it's like, we understand that y'all have some kind of sense when it comes to, like, the top dogs, at least in the Eastern Conference, but Tyrese Maxey, like Chris was saying, I don't even know if he's, like, top five for me on this list right now i mean because i definitely have trey young at six but the guys in front of him, at least for the player rank, that's just an interesting conversation that like you said i don't know what the players were thinking because that's kind of ridiculous and lamella ball also being at seven was crazy to me as well he's been playing well but he also has been injured a good majority of the season are you taking from just the games that he has played, or are you taking from like what he's meant to his team that's also not playing well?
0: But I don't think there was anybody that the players put behind him that could really make a strong argument deserve to be in front of him.
1: Derek White.
0: Derek White. Like he's fine. Like and he's had a good year. There's no doubt about it. Offensively, defensively knocking down timely shots, but he doesn't have the same responsibility that LaMelo Ball has in Charlotte. And I think it's easier for Derek White to make the winning plays that he needs to make and blend into a fabric of the team when he's got Jason Tatum to take offensive pressure off of him, right? When he's got Jalen Brown to take some of the defensive focus away from him when he's got Kristaps Porzingis as well, who could be an all-star this year. In Charlotte, all eyes are on LaMelo. The defense is designed to stop him. The defense is designed to make things as difficult as possible on him. And it gets difficult to have these conversations because everybody has a different role. Everybody has a different responsibility. Everybody's in a different kind of situation. But I think if Derek White was in the situation that LaMelo Ball had to be in, where he was the guy running the show for his team, I don't think we would be looking at him the same way. I don't think he could handle that particular role. That's just me. No,
1: nah, that, that's a fair argument. I think Glamello is integral to what the Charlotte Hornets are trying to do, and I also think like they're trying to build around him and try to figure out what they can do with the pieces that they have. But I just think Derek White has been kind of underrated this season especially with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum ahead of him. Like, you don't respect as much what Derek White can do. At least it doesn't seem like other teams do. But it's definitely a conversation worth having. But enough of the starters. Now we wait until Thursday, February 1st, for the NBA to announce the reserves, who are selected by the league's head coaches with injury replacements being selected by Commissioner Adam Silver. Donovan finished 5th in the starter voting for the backcourt in the East. I'd say he has a pretty good chance of making the All-Star game as a reserve. And Jared Allen, who I think is an even more interesting conversation, finished 14th in the starter voting for the frontcourt with players who didn't get selected as starters like Jimmy Butler, Jalen Brown, Paolo Banquero, Julius Randle, Bam Adebayo, and others in in front of him i think it's gonna be tough for him to make the all-star game even as a reserve what do you think chris
0: i just think we have to break about numbers okay so there are seven spots two guards three front court and then two wild cards okay so let's just go through this let's start at the guards all right halliburton and lillard are the starters everybody knows that lillard shouldn't be a starter but he is so you're talking about two guard spots. Jalen Bronson's got to be one of them. I, I would think that the coaches would recognize what he has done for the Knicks, how important he is to the Knicks, and the impact that he has on winning, especially with New York right there in the mix with the Cavs in the 4-5-6 spot in the Eastern Conference. So I think he's in. Don't think players around the NBA and coaches around the NBA like Trey Young. I think that feeling is shared by coaches just like it is with players. Like Trey Young is popular amongst fans, obviously. He was second in the fan voting. He was sixth among players. I think coaches have the same view of Trey just like the players do and just like media members do. I don't know about him. That one gets pretty tricky. Donovan, I think, will get in. So I think those are the two guard spots. If you're talking about the front court, the reserves for that, to me, one of the Boston guys is getting one of those spots. So either Jalen Brown or Porzingis, that's one spot, okay? I think Paolo gets in. Paulo Benquero has been really, really important to upstart Orlando. They wouldn't be a playoff caliber team without him. I think he gets the second spot because they're winning enough that you can justify that one, especially given how important he is to them and the stats that he's putting up. The third spot to me is between Bam, Julius Randle, Jared Allen, and Jimmy Butler. Those would be the locked in front court spots. I don't think Jared would get chosen by coaches over bam jimmy or julius so i think one of those guys will get the third and final front court spot and now you're down to two wild cards and it's all about okay do you think there are two guards that are more worthy do you think it should be a guard and a front court player do you think it should be two front court players if it's looked at that way and it ends up being two front court players as both wild card spots then jared's in but if they take two guards as the two wild cards or they split it guard front court, I don't think Jaredson.
1: Yeah. So there's a lot of logistics that go into it in this decision. I mean, I understand what Kristaps brought to that team, but I don't know if he's gotten the respect from the coaches enough to get that push.
0: Right. But that doesn't matter because like the way that you have to look at it is Boston's taking one of those spots, whoever it is of those guys. They're taking one of those spots. I mean, the thing when it comes to Jarrett, like he is definitely worthy and he is playing like an all-star, but like those two wild card spots, I mean, are you keeping Tyrese Maxey out completely? I don't think he should be number two on the player rankings, but I think he's got an all-star case at the very least. So are you taking him out completely? Are you giving Derek White an all-star bid because of his impact on winning? I don't know. It's just, it gets into a numbers game because there are only 12 spots.
1: And this is what we talk about when it comes to like MVP, defensive player of the year, all of those things as well. And this might be considered even harder because- There's so many high caliber players, like at least for MVP and defensive player of the year, you can narrow it down to five guys and sometimes even three guys.
0: If ever there was an argument to expand this thing to 15, I think uh, we're starting to get to that point because some really, really talented and worthy players every single year are getting left out of the all-star mix. And I totally get it, Ethan. Not everybody can be an all-star. Not everybody is an all-star, but if an NBA roster is 15, why isn't the all-star roster 50? That's all I'm saying.
1: So let's look at this Western Conference real quick, because you get the three from the West in LeBron, Nicola, and Kevin Durant, and then you get Luka and Shea. So that leaves on the guard front, Stephen Curry, Ant, Kyrie, James Harden, De'Aaron Fox and Devin Booker. And those are the guys that you really look at like, how are you going to leave them out? <laughs> and then for the front court, it's AD, Kawhi, Paul George. And then obviously the fans and all of the NBA would want to
0: have Victor in for his first year. Sabonis so has been great. So yeah, Sabonis so has been phenomenal. Shangoon's been awesome for Houston. They're not very good, they're not high in the standings. It's harder to make that argument for somebody on a below 500 team, but he has been awesome this year, too.
1: Yeah, 100%. I don't know how you keep off AD. I don't know how you keep off Paul George. Here's my thing, Chris. I have always been a skeptic of Kawhi Leonard. What? I'm being honest here. On the defensive end, obviously, you know what you're getting, but on the offensive end, it feels like it can be touch and go. And you can lean on Paul George. You can lean on James Harden. And also the entire resting thing, too, doesn't really sit well with me either. But if you had to pick right now, who are you saying is best fit to be in the All-Star game, Kawhi or Paul George?
0: Kawhi. So I had a vote, again, my Western Conference ballot was Luka, Shea, and in the front court, I went Jokic, LeBron, and Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard has been one of the best, most impactful players in the entire NBA this year. He is in the 98th percentile, an estimated plus minus. He's in the 94th percentile, an estimated plus minus on the offensive end of the floor. Like You start getting into the deeper stats and Everything points to Kawhi being one of the most impactful players in the league. And the Clippers are one of the best teams in the entire NBA and a legitimate title contender. Now, part of that is because they're extremely talented. They've got Russ coming off the bench. They've got an awesome three-man set with James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George, especially now that James Harden cares again and he's in shape and he's engaged, but a big reason for their success this year is Kawhi getting himself back to a consistent all-star level, and when he's playing at that kind of level, very few guys are as impactful as he is, so to me, he should be in, and in my own voting, he was a starter over KD. Yeah, I don't know how you did that. Every impact metric is better than KD's, every single one of them. I get that.
1: You're a very impact-driven guy,
0: Chris. Well, yeah, that's what it's supposed to be about.
1: It's crazy because I recognize the greatness of Kawhi Leonard. But because he does things, it seems like so quietly and he doesn't really have those like showy games that sometimes it can get lost. Like, I feel like he's a bigger form of what Max Druse brings to every team. He is able to impact spacing, impact scoring, impact the defensive end and do all the little things, but he also can go and get himself 20, 25 a night.
0: And this isn't a conversation where KD isn't worthy. That was the toughest position to figure out to me on the all-star ballot was the Western conference front court, because you can make an argument, a legitimate argument for Kevin Durant. You could make a legitimate argument for Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Domas Sabonis. Like any of those guys, I will listen to. Like when you're talking about trying to figure out MVP voting, all-star voting, those kinds of things, you have to find like the smallest separator between those guys. And sometimes it feels like you're being nitpicky and you're being critical. I'm not being critical of KD. KD is awesome. KD has been impactful. But when you're comparing the two guys side by side and you're trying to figure out what differentiates one from the other, to me, Kawhi Leonard and the numbers support this. He has been more impactful than KD. Is it by a significant margin? No, it's not. We're talking about some of the greatest players in the NBA fighting for three spots in the front court in the Western Conference. It's a grueling decision. But to me, Kawhi Leonard has been more impactful than KD on his particular team.
1: Since we're on the topic of KD, and I wanted to get your opinion on this anyway, KD mentioned the other day that he believes that he should be included in the greatest of all time conversation. I think he's nuts. (laughs) KD is probably one of the most prolific scorers the NBA has ever seen. It is not a knock on that. But for all the people that talk about, it's about the championship rings. It's about what you're able to do in the postseason. It's about what you're able to do with the players around you. I remember growing up in the DMV and watching Kevin Durant change schools in high school. I was like, I didn't know this was allowed. I legitimately think that might've been the first time I had seen a player change schools during high school. And I was like, wait, that's allowed? Okay. Okay. And then he got to the NBA and started doing the same thing. And I think, like, he's been able to be successful individually on every single team that he's been on. But when it comes to what his team has been able to do, like, the Brooklyn Nets should have been, you basically traded Kyrie Irving for Paul George. You have James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Paul George on the Clippers rather than Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Kevin Durant. And you're not even including Ben Simmons because, of course, nobody includes Ben Simmons anymore. But... KD is a great scorer. KD is a great impact player on the offensive end of the floor. But there are
0: levels to this.
1: I don't even know if he's in the top five.
0: There is one critical difference between Kevin Durant and, and some of these other guys that we talk about in the GOAT conversation. And it's the fact that the guys that, that we consider in that conversation, LeBron, Michael Jordan, whoever else you want to put in there, those guys have shown that they can be the central figure on a championship team. KD hasn't shown that. It's different when you're playing alongside Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, right? That was Steph's team. And KD was critical to Golden State's success. And them getting him changed the Cavs-Warriors rivalry forever because he replaced Harrison Barnes with Kevin Durant. And it's just like, how do you counter that sort of move? But like, he hasn't done it as the guy for his franchise like the thing that I think gives LeBron a legitimate argument is that he has elevated every single franchise that he has gone to that is not easy to do that's not for everybody not everybody is capable of that and KD hasn't done it to the level that LeBron has done it that's a big difference to me
1: yeah I agree LeBron people LeBron fans assume that every year LeBron should have been in the finals while KD has been scrapping to get
0: back to it. And when has he been the guy, the central figure on a team that he has dragged to the places where LeBron has dragged his teams to? When has that happened? Never. It hasn't. It's never happened. LeBron had Boobie Gibson, Sasha Pavlovich, Danielle Marshall. Like, are you kidding me? Maybe the worst supporting cast in NBA Finals history. And they got out of the Eastern Conference and they got to the NBA Finals. Like, that speaks of a different level of impact, a different level of effect on winning than what KD has shown throughout his career.
1: I remember seeing videos of people trying to name other players outside of Kyrie Irving before Kyrie was there when the Cavs were getting deep into the playoffs with just LeBron and everybody's answer was, (laughs) Ilgalskis. (laughs) <laughs> the only one that you can name. That's the only one we can remember. We Anderson, Vergeau. Anderson Vergeau. Anderson Oh, my goodness. And Anderson Vergeau is a character nowadays. Did you see what Robin Lopez tweeted about the Olympics? He said, I'm going to defer. It's going to take away from my streaming time.
0: <laughs> well, Sam Merrill said that there's only part of him that wants to compete in the three-point contest. The other part of him wants to golf. So I totally respect that. You kidding me? I know me? you
1: do. I know. Yeah. I know you. Your golfer self does.
0: <laughs> I mean, my man has probably had tee times lined up for All Star Weekend for months because it's the middle of the season. It's a grind. You don't get very much time for that. And I know I've got the itch. You kidding me? There's a, a swing suite, a Top Golf swing suite downstairs. Basically, in the lobby of my hotel, it's not really the lobby of my hotel, but that's how close it is to the hotel where I'm staying. And you got to believe that I got a reservation for that tomorrow afternoon before the Bucks game. So I understand the feeling, Sam Merrill. If I could make a tea time in February, I would do the same thing. But unlike you, I'll be in Cleveland, Ohio, not somewhere nice and warm.
1: Oh my goodness I cannot <laughs> with you guys in the golf like Sam <laughs> Sam' saying that and knowing that everybody around him like you can just see his eyes get big in the videos he was like but I do, I wanted to golf like, yeah. <laughs> people who are listening to this gotta understand Chris takes a nap before the games. He's giving up his nap to go golf. This is a serious endeavor.
0: it's not even real golf right? It's swinging into a golf simulator. So it's a little bit different. And I'm still making that sacrifice because I've been itching to golf so bad.
1: Y'all heed this warning tomorrow. If Chris is grumpy on the podcast, (laughs) it's not my fault. It's because he went coughing instead of taking his daily nap. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Chris, instead of taking a nap, I'm going to talk about some food real quick because we got to take a break. And for our listeners, If you like food and drinks, and who doesn't, Cleveland.com is breaking new ground with our lively new podcast about dining and drinking in the greater Cleveland area. The hosts talk about the latest foodie happenings, joined by the most in-the-know experts in town. It's called Dine, Drink, C-L-E, and you can find it anywhere you download your podcast. Give it a listen and quench your thirst and feed that appetite. When we come back to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast, we're going to discuss how moves around the league could pan out. But before then, become a Cavs Insider and interact with Chris and me by subscribing to Subtext. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word STOP. It's easy, but we can tell you. the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the calves from myself and chris we'll be right back
0: all right we're back first and foremost we mentioned it in the last podcast
1: without an official announcement So when we tell you we got the scoop and insight, you just got to trust us because the Cavs announced the very next day on Thursday that Ty Jerome underwent arthroscopic surgery to treat his right ankle. That's had him out since October 28th. He's now out indefinitely. Chris, all I was seeing on social media was people comparing this situation to what happened with Dylan Windler. For context, Dylan played three years with the Cavs after being a first-round pick in 2019. He played just 84 games with the team over that time in Cleveland. Since, Dylan has been jumping around the NBA. He played just three NBA games with the Knicks this year, playing just three games in the G League for the Westchester Knicks, and even broke the all-time NBA G League record for most rebounds in a game, with 33 rebounds on January 5th. Get this, Chris. The very next day, he signed a two-way contract with the Lakers. He's played one game at the NBA level since. What did you grasp from the Ty Jerome announcement? And what do you think about the comparisons to
0: Dylan Windler? Look, first of all, I want to say to fans, these guys work their ass off. They make sacrifices on a daily basis. They spend more time around players, teammates, coaches, than they do their family. So every season is a grind, and nobody out there wants to miss as much time as Dylan Windler did throughout his career. Nobody wants to spend their time rehabbing the way that Ty Jerome has tried to, to try and get himself back on the court and get his ankle right. These guys want to play. They love basketball. They want to play. This is what they've worked their entire lives to achieve. So having that taken away from them Having their potential robbed, like, it's not something that is fun to cover from a journalistic standpoint. And it's, to me, it's not something that I will ever question with players. So this is a tough situation for Ty Jerome. He's been incredibly frustrated this entire time trying to figure out why he can't get past these hurdles. Like, when you're talking about injury recovery, there are different steps that you have to take in that process. And every time it felt like Ty Jerome was getting closer and closer and he was ready to ramp up his basketball activities and get on the court and maybe potentially rejoin the team. He felt more pain in his ankle and he felt like his recovery, the word that he used with me was plateaued. So the Cavs were trying to figure it out. Ty's people were trying to figure it out. Doctors were trying to figure it out. And after all that evaluation, all the other rehab tries, all of the other treatment programs and more scans that he was getting, everybody determined that the best course of action was arthroscopic surgery to see if that would alleviate the issue and maybe possibly allow him to return back to the court at some point before the season is up. Now, in saying that, he's got no shot to make an impact for this team this year. He hasn't built enough trust with the coaching staff. There are other guys that have passed him up in the rotation. So even if he gets healthy enough to play, this is a tight rotation. It's hard enough for Craig Porter Jr. to get consistent minutes. It's a possibility that the Cavs go out at the trade deadline, ahead of the trade deadline, and they add a more reliable veteran point guard that was supposed to be either Ricky Rubio or Ty Jerome. So for him, it's all about let me recover, let me get back to basketball, and then maybe next year I can be the player that I thought I was going to be for this Cavs team. Maybe next year I can have the role that I thought I was going to have when I chose to leave Golden State. And sign with the Cavs, so it's just a really, really difficult situation all the way around. And ironically, Ty does share the same agent as Dylan Windler does, but beyond that, that's that's where the comparison stopped to me.
1: Yeah, I just remember seeing the announcement come out, and everybody underneath the tweet and the announcement were calling Dylan Windler, and I was like, I don't think that's accurate, but okay.
0: Again, like he does not want to be injured. He does nothing else in his free time except for play basketball. I once sat down with him in training camp earlier this year because I just wanted to get to know him as a person. It wasn't something where it was on the record and I was working on a specific Ty Jerome story. I just wanted to know him the person. And he was like, I have no other hobbies. I just hoop. So having that taken away from him, you can tell how painful it is every time you talk to him about this particular injury. And it was the same way when it came to Dylan Windler. Like I did so many different stories on Dylan. And every time I talked to him, I felt his pain. It was an excruciating journey for for Dylan that right when it seemed like he was starting to turn the corner, find his happiness and his joy playing basketball again, it was taken from him. And a lot of those things were fluke injuries. And I just hate seeing guys who I know work so, so hard to get to this level. And it is not easy to get to this level and to see them work so, so hard to get to this level and then not be able to accomplish the things at this level that that they think they're capable of because it's, it's basically being robbed. That's so hard to chronicle. It really, really is.
1: Chris, I want to end with a discussion of how fun the league has become. That on any night, almost every team has a chance to win. And I say almost because there are some teams that, you know, some matchups just don't pan out. But on Thursday night, the Pacers, who are fighting for the top six seed in the East, took down the 76ers, who are the second seed, while the Knicks defeated the Nuggets. We already know the Pacers and Knicks are on the tail of the Cavs in the East and trying to fight for one of the top six spots in the conference, but these games against teams that are considered the top tier and giving them issues with the new trade acquisitions that they've made, it just made me chuckle knowing how much competition there is around the league. Like, I don't know if it was like some deja vu or whatever the word might be, but Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi both had 26 points tonight and were the leading scorer for their teams in their wins. I mean, Pascal Siakam had just the sixth triple-double of his career. It was in his first win as a pacer. 13 rebounds, 10 assists, 26 points on 9 of 13 shooting. And not to mention, Indiana just went ballistic when... Tyrese Halliburton was announced as all-star starter. So immediate impact players are being traded. I want to get your take on where the state of the NBA is in the future. Do you think it's in good hands?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. You kidding me? Just like look at the the all-star voting. Look at the amount of attention that is on the league. Look at the amount of great players, great young players, a combination of international ones and Americans. It's in a really, really good place. And you bring up Pascal and you bring up OG and the way that those guys have elevated the Knicks and the Pacers. It's amazing what happens when you take guys out of a losing environment and put them in a winning environment and how their attitude changes and how their approach changes and how their production probably changes as well. But back to your point, Shea Alexander is a blast to watch. Anthony Edwards a young up-and-coming player who in the future you can see MVP type stuff from. You've got Giannis, you've got Jokic, you've got Embiid, you've got Luka, you've got Jason Tatum. Like there are so many great individual players. And those individual players are also on really, really good teams, well-run organizations. And that just increases how much those guys matter to the league and how much shine is going to be placed on those guys and how much attention is going to be on those guys, it's not like the best players in the NBA are playing on like doormats and you don't often get an opportunity to see them. They're not marketed like you you don't sit there and wonder, hey, what would it be like if X player was on a winning team in the playoffs? Like you get to see the best of the best on the biggest stage in the NBA. And that, to me, is one of the most exciting things about this era of the NBA right now.
1: Yeah, Chris. And with all that being said, I think that's a great place to wrap up this episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. But remember to become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and I by subscribing to Subtext. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit Cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word stop. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from me and Chris. This isn't just our podcast, it's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is
0: through subtext. Y'all be safe. We out.